What did you think of Bo Burnham's comedy special? Dude, I thought that I thought it was amazing. I thought it was too long. I thought it was funny at parts, but it really wasn't a funny special. It wasn't your typical comedy special because there was no audience. Yeah. And he filmed it all, I think, in like a shed behind his house. Just like one of those ones that you can go to Home Depot and buy for like 10000 bucks. Yeah. And he did everything in that. The way I see Bo Burnham's like comedy isn't really as comedy. It's not like uh, it's not like if you watch Dave Chappelle, and that's the way all of his specials are. Like his his earliest specials were more like stand up. Yeah, and then like as he's progressed, it's really just become like art. Yeah, he's morphed into his own thing. I didn't know how I felt about it per se, whether I liked it or disliked it. But it did make me think. Yeah. And that's what I can give credit for. I just thought it was too fucking long. He could have shaved that down to 45 minutes and it would have been really good. There was a couple of things that I liked on it. He um, he had that white, uh, white woman's Instagram one. Yeah. That was pretty funny. I love that one. It was accurate because in that he was doing all shit that white girls say and do on Instagram. Yeah. He also, he was talking shit and he was calling things out in our culture, but nothing was, it wasn't mean spirited. He was just talking about the ugly side of shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the internet. The internet. Yeah. I like that internet song. What what was it? Apathy's. A tragedy and a, boredom's a crime. Yes. I thought that was really smart. Um, I like the sexting song too. Yeah. Where he texted, it was something like, Hey, baby, I love you. Send a pic of your titties. Yeah. It made me think of Zach. And then uh, then she sent him the Ferris wheel emoji and he was like, What's that mean? Yeah, <laughs> it's abstract. Um, yeah. No, I, I really did like it because it, it, it's, it's kind of more than just like a special, like a stand up special. It's more of just like a whole art piece. Yeah. It, I would definitely say that. Um, because, I mean, he did everything. He did all the music, all the video editing, all the production, all the lighting. Yeah. And you can tell at certain points in it, because he, he recorded it over the course of a year. He was in a bad mental place in some of the spots. Like, you can tell he was going down a, the fucking rabbit hole of his mind. Well, did you see, like, did you watch his last stand-up special? No. Okay, so the end of it ties into this. That room that he's in during that, he's in that at the end of his last one. And he's got, like, clown makeup on. And he's like a sad clown at the end of his last special. And then at the beginning of it, he talks about it and like starts that one song where he talks about how he's coming back. Uh-huh. And it was kind of like, it kind of tied into like the last special almost. Interesting. Yeah. Cause there, there was a one point in the special too, where he was talking about in January of 2020, he had taken like a five year break from doing any performances yeah. live and he was thinking about doing it again and then the pandemic happened so here's my question for you about bo burnham do you think and, and like i argue with myself about this because I, i've watched all of his stuff from like his early youtube videos to like this special um do you think every single thing he does is planned do you think all of that's planned or do you think like he was like like that was real you know what i'm saying I, like like the walking phoenix thing almost what do you oh, oh like uh I'm still here yeah like that I'm thing? still here I think uh I think it's partially planned I think it's also real I think he probably did want to kill himself at a certain point he he looked rough at certain points yeah. in that it was it was real as fuck I, I will give it credit for that again I don't know if I liked it or disliked it but I know that it was real yeah I yeah you can definitely you can definitely tell and I think that all everything that he he says in that is all thought out and planned as far as like like this is a message I'm trying to convey yeah I did like to he um that he just called certain things out in our culture like he called out the like the pompous white people that are all like you need to do this because my opinion is important like the self-righteousness of all that bullshit which is something that i really hate so i related to that mm -hmm. he had a song about turning 30 uh and he didn't know how he was gonna feel about it he's getting old now he's no longer the youngest person in the room i relate to that mm -hmm. but yeah there was some things that were very relatable into it um overall i would just say yeah go watch it it's worth the watch but it was too long for me, dude. I, I hate 
any long shit. I don't even like long albums. I've never been a fan of The Wall. I like some of the songs off The Wall. Mm. But it's just too acidy for me. I, I'm not into. I'm not into super long shit. I like. Um, I like the uh, the song about brand awareness. Yes, that's probably that's one of the things I really I did like about it. Because yeah, and it's true because yeah. he called out both celebrities and companies. Yeah, Testino's pizza rolls. Yeah, what's your thoughts on blah uh, blah blah blah? blah. <laughs> well, he uh, it was bagel bites. Yeah, bagel bites. Yeah, that's what it was. In that all these companies are taking a moral stance and they're doing it through celebrities who have people's eye in order to sway the culture because that's just the way that the wind was blowing. Yeah. But if you drop us in the middle of 1945 Nazi Germany, they would be doing the same shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. they're just going, they're doing what companies do. Yeah. I, I, I've never understood that. Really? Like, why does a company have to take a stance on anything? Why can't I just enjoy bagel bites for what they are? It's greed, dude. It's corporate greed. But it's kind of selfish because you take these people that think that bagel bites actively care about something that they care about, but they're only doing it to get them to buy more of their shit. And I like it. It was really to a comment on celebrity culture Mm -hmm. and celebrities feeling like they have to have a say while meanwhile also be greedy in their own aspect of they're taking a fat check from a company in order to say you know hashtag blm hashtag pride whatever whatever it is which are all good causes you know i believe in equality and all that but i hate these fucking corporations who take a stance you're telling me that visa mastercard whoever the fuck it is gives a fuck dude they don't give a fuck bro no they do not give a ounce of a fuck maybe the people in their marketing department do but at the end of the day, all they're re- all they're really concerned about is their companies keep moving yeah. forward and keep growing. Well, I feel like every company and really every everybody that has public eye on them is is terrified of being canceled. So you yes. make stances like this so that you beat it before it beats you. Well, that's the the other thing that he talked about in there. He talked about how when he was a junior in high school, he dressed up as Aladdin for Halloween, and he felt weird about it. And the, he felt he feels weird yeah. about it now, but he also I, I, that was more like satire, tongue in cheek. Like the whole thing is really satire. Yeah, um, he's clearly an intelligent guy. Um, but yeah, definitely worth the watch. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was it was cool. I hope he I hope he like still makes stuff. You know, I don't know if he'll go on a tour or anything, but I hope he still makes something in the future. I don't think he will, but I mean, I said that last time. An artist is an artist at the end of the day. They got to keep creating. Yeah. And Bo Burnham, he's definitely an artist, whether someone likes him or hates him. Mm. Did you watch his YouTube videos back in the day? Yeah, I saw them. I mean, I thought I've always thought he was okay. Mm. Um, I mean, he's clever, but he's he's never really been my cup of tea. Mm. I don't love him the way that other people do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Kara's Jam is coming back. The it pros, is. The Pro's Blue, or I can't even say it. The Pro Blues Jam mm-hmm. is coming back on June 27th. Yep. And it's going to be from 3 to 7 at Twin Cakes 2. And I'm super stoked for that. Kara Lipman, of course, of uh, Kara Being Blue. It was a pretty impactful thing that I started going to when I first came to town. So I'm glad it's coming back. I feel like it's really like a back to the basics approach. So yeah. I'm eager to get back out there. Yeah, I feel like uh, even when I first started, when I moved here, I was told about the jam, and that was one of the first things that I did. Like from the first three months that we started living together, was I started going to those jams, um, and and it was cool. And I I haven't been there since the pandemic, and even since before the pandemic. So it's like I'm pumped to go back there because it's almost been like a year and a half yeah. closer to two years since I've been to one. Yeah. I mean, same for me. Uh, when I first started going out, uh, it was the way that I met Josh Norfleet mm-hmm. and Dustin McKee from the reveal. Yeah. It was the way that I met Ron Bates, who was the first person to start editing the podcast and kind of helping me out with that. And yeah. it's also the way that I recorded Gina Gina because I met Ron Bates out at the jam. Yeah. Kara did the background vocals for it. So Kara's always been very uh, integral in my Nashville journey to all these people that I've met because I met 
because her jam was the, the hottest in the t- in town, you know. Yeah, it was it was a big deal to go out there because there was players like Jack Pearson that would come out and just crazy ass players that were really good that had a name and that had been doing it for a long time. It's also how I met Terry Goose Downing. It's how I met all of those people, um, all the musicians that I know today. A good bulk of them before I really got involved in East Nashville, I was involved in Karis Jam, but that was a gateway in order to do that because that's when like i was saying my friendship started with the reveal back when they were the artists formerly known as no name blues um and that opened the doorway to it yeah i i remember going up there and and like being extremely extremely nervous it's terrifying like like my first time because i'd lived here like maybe like four months and i went up there and we had just started living together and uh I had uh, somebody took me to the jam and um, like I was extremely nervous for that, you know, and it kind of got easier as time went on. But like, uh, as I got more comfortable with like playing and playing with the players that I'd played with already and just stuff like that. But you know, there's a few times that I just, you know, ate shit. Ate shit. I did too, man. Especially at pop attorneys. Well, it's all a mental game. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing with all of that because really you go out anywhere and play music in Nashville Mostly everybody's going to be cool and there's going to be a few people that are just dicks. Yeah. That's just the way it is in life in general. Yeah. But someone like Kara, someone like Goose, they understand sometimes you have an off night. I remember this very vividly this one time that I went out to play at Kara's Jam. I had been working around the clock endlessly. I was working at the apartments and also at Bridgestone Arena as a supervisor for Mm. a labor company. Yeah. And I'd gone probably like four days just straight, straight working. I was taking a lot of Adderall back then too. So I was getting up at seven o'clock in the morning to be, to work at eight, working until six, Mm -hmm. getting out at six, getting to Bridgestone at at seven and getting out of there anywhere between midnight and 2am. Wow. Wow. And then waking up and doing it and that, I had gone to a jam on a Tuesday night after coming off one of those benders where I was doing that a couple weeks in a row, a work bender. And I remember there was no singer for the round. So Kara got up there and she called a slow blues. And dude, if there was one thing I always fucking shit my pants at, it was slow blues for whatever reason. it's, It's super easy to play it. You could even argue that it's deceptively simple. But I was just blowing changes, dude, because I was worn out and mentally and physically exhausted. And I was not giving a good performance. I just stumbled hard. And everybody knew it was me. I mean, everybody knows when it's the bass player. Yeah. Yeah. There ain't no hiding when you're the bass player. Yeah, there's hiding when you're keys. Yeah, you can get away with it somewhat. Yeah, depending on the song. Depending on the song. But as a bass player, there's nothing that you can really hide from. Unless you just have like a random verse that doesn't have a bass part in it. Yeah. But even after that, Kara's always been nice to me. And there's times that I've completely fucked up at Papa T's as well. There yeah. was one time where uh, they called like this slow blues song that was this random Randy Newman song. And it had a lot of changes to it. And I didn't know the song. And these two guys, they were up there playing. I could tell that they were like hobbyists versus being they, they were musicians but they had like day gigs and this was what they did for fun to come out yeah and i'm not even talking shit on that there's nothing wrong with that they had called that song and there were so many changes happening and i didn't know it that i just froze and completely fell flat on my face yeah and i remember getting off stage i was so upset and Granted, it wasn't entirely my fault because they shouldn't have called a song like that with so many changes that was slow and wasn't like a standard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I remember Goose just looking at me and he told me I did a good job. And I was like, no, I did not. I didn't say anything, but it was nice of him to, to say so. He was giving me the, the encouragement I needed to get going yeah. after after you completely just fuck it in a situation that's your fault and also not your fault yeah dude first the first time i went to pop attorneys was the worst jam that i've ever been a part of like i completely just dropped the ball 
like I just didn't even I couldn't play anything I felt like they kept calling in chords that I wasn't comfortable playing in and what like key of a flat or some yeah, shit? like a key of a flat and stuff and we were doing like 12 bar blues and f minor yeah f minor blues f minor blues and like i couldn't like all the deadly millhouse keys yeah i couldn't hang dude i couldn't hang i feel like now i could I, I really do feel like now i could um or at least not fuck it up as much like that you know what i'm saying um but uh i was playing with goose he was on stage yeah and um like that was the first song that we did and i completely butchered it and like my whole like from that point like my, my head just you know was not in you a went good space. Da- you went down in the I fucking went down. rabbit hole i got better as we we played a few more songs like i got better like i ended on a good note but yeah dude, just like that first song just absolutely butchering oh, the first yeah. time i'd ever been there and like i was completely like what did Goose say to you after? Did he say anything? He, he was just like, good job. And I was just, he was nice, yeah, right? he was yeah. nice. He was nice about it, dude. But it feels bad. It feels bad when you don't kill it, at least somewhat, you know? Yeah. Like, Carrie's Jam, like, I've ate shit there, but it's not been on that level. It's not been on that level. They've always kind of, it's always been, e- like, relatively easy. Yeah. I've always been in groups that have played relatively easy songs, you know, like 12 yeah. Bar Blues and E, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, it's it, that's like the biggest thing is like getting over yourself whenever something bad like that happens. Because you it's can't like, beat yourself up over yeah. it because it's gonna fuck you up. Yeah. Like I used to, the for a long time, the only musical thing that I really had going on was the blues jams because I didn't know anybody yet. Um, so I would always get psyched out, yeah, and get up in my head before I went there, and I didn't trust my abilities yet of playing with such hot players. It was just, it was due to insecurity. I didn't, I didn't understand yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you said something a little bit ago that like, I kind of resonated with, with like work, work life, work versus life. Um, like keeping, keeping it at like both equal, you know what I'm saying? Like making sure that you're doing, doing enough that you can like practice and stuff and still be hot and not work overworking yourself. You know, it's a tough balance to find. I mean, we we were talking a little bit about that yesterday. We had two conversations about it and it's something that's always been a struggle for me, man. It's, it's hard to say no to money and it's hard to say no to music stuff. Yeah. And the phase that we're both in, most of the music stuff we're doing is for free. I'm lucky now that most of the music stuff I'm doing for free is the stuff that I'm passionate about and I actually care about. Yeah. So it's learning to strike that balance has always been a challenge for me because I have the tendency to just want to go, 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 go and not take a break ever. I was convinced in my 20s that I was a machine and I didn't have limitations. Now, as someone who's approaching 30, I understand I have limitations. Yeah, I, I feel like sometimes I hit that brick wall of limitations and and like recently has been one of those times for sure where i've just been working non-stop and and like also trying to keep the realization of like why i'm here i'm not here to just work myself into the ground i could do that back in west virginia yeah you know if i wanted to work myself into the ground i would have stayed in west virginia because it's exactly what i would have done but i came here to play music and sometimes you know, you get caught up just like living life and working and like working really hard. And like, if, if you know, there's an extra shift, you take it because, you know, whatever. And, and like, um, but what kind of advice would you give to somebody that's like, say, my age or younger, that's a musician that's, you know, working and trying to make music at the same time? So, for one, understand what your limitations are when you hit them. Mm hmm when you're getting that feeling of frustration, it's not so much like how satisfied are you, it's how frustrated are you feeling. Mm. And if you're feeling anywhere between a seven or a 10 in frustration, you feel like you're not, you're doing too much stuff you don't like and you're not doing enough stuff that you do like, Yeah, you have to take an inventory of what's going on in your life and what you're not liking. A big thing for me was putting limitations on jobs and learning to tell them to fuck off. And I didn't, I wasn't able to do that until I got fired by the apartments. Yeah. And I realized they didn't give a fuck about me at all. Yeah. Jobs don't care. I mean, there's, there's different degrees of jobs too. 
But for the most part, if someone's willing to actually teach you something about life and you're not making a lot of money at working, choose that option over anything. If you feel a connection to the person and they can tell that you're young and smart and they want to see you succeed yeah, versus just using you. Mm-hmm. And there's even a sliding scale within that too, which is something we've been talking about. So yeah, just uh, taking inventory of where you're at Understanding when you're feeling something physically, emotionally, or spiritually, taking note of that and paying attention to what what it is, whether it's positive or negative. Because no one talks about how great things are going Mm. and what they were doing when things were going great. But there's steps and actions you have to take in order to maintain the machine. Yeah. The machine of life, the machine of your body. Gotta have oil. Yeah. (laughs) The machine of your spirit. Yeah. There's certain things you need to do for each of those to keep things lubricated and moving because the parts will break down if it starts running dry. Yeah. Sometimes you you know you shoot a rod and you you break down. You know. There's absolutely. There's some, there's some times, dude. You know when it, when you just find, when you come to realization of like the things that you're doing are not okay and you need to change, like some stuff in your life so that you have more time to do things that you want to do. That's like a hard realization, like, you know, oh, I haven't had a day off in three weeks or, you know, it's time I should like say something or do something. And it's uncomfortable to do because you don't want people to get mad at you if you're saying no to something. Yeah. But it's not even out of ill will. It's out of, I have to do this for myself in order to keep being good for you. Because those were any time that I was just taking it, saying yes to everything. And even when I do that now... I can feel my performance start to slip in certain areas. Well, it's across the board, but some areas I slip more than others. Yeah. And that's a bad feeling. That's the worst feeling I can I can give myself is overworking myself to the point to where I'm showing up for something and I feel like I'm just phoning it in. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I feel that. Like like I've started taking priorities in certain things, like practicing as a priority for me right now. Um but like when I when I'm overbooked like that, like I feel things slip away. Like I don't get to be at the studio as much, or I don't get to you know mix as much for th- projects that I need to have finished and have done, you know. And like that sucks because I w- I want to be able to have equal time to be able to do stuff and still you know pay my bills and everything. But you know sometimes work has to like, you know sometimes you have you to gotta do, pay your bills. You gotta pay your bills. You, you know? gotta pay the rent. No, it, you know. The advice I would give someone, this is not necessarily good advice, but I'm willing to be late on my rent in order to do what I want, mm. or I'm willing to put myself in crunch time with paying a bill in order to do what I want. I will choose that fucking first every single time I will put myself first in the long term. Yeah. And you said something last night that like got me thinking a lot. Um, it's like, uh, you know, our time here is very limited you know, it's, it's not worth, worth it to, to overwork yourself and overdo everything. If you're not actually happy with what you're doing, you know, like if I, if I was over myself and I was playing gigs, that'd be one thing. Cause I'd be happy like doing that, you know, just well, playing. it's another level. Yeah. It's another level. That's like a whole different, different level, but overworking yourself. And, and this isn't talking about necessarily where I work, but like just in general, like overworking yourself for a company that doesn't care about you is not worth it when you're actually pursuing something else. No. No, I I think it's super important. The other thing I would say is put limitations on jobs until you can figure out how to stop working like a normal, a normal life. Cause eventually if you want to want to have any kind of alternative career, it's going to have to be your main focus every single day. You're going to have to be doing stuff to further yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and take like, take like, take a breather, you know, if you can just take a breather, go do something else. that's not music yes i for me one thing that the pandemic brought back to me was the whole baseball baseball cards all Mm -hmm. that shit it's a hobby away from everything that i'm doing yeah that no one else that i know is involved in it's just like my purely my thing yeah that i can do for me it's just like straight up me time yeah and i didn't really have that since moving to nashville or really through my 20s so that was important rediscovery for me of something that I really loved when I was a kid, something that's also very comforting. Um, 
So that, that was one thing that helped me out is having something away from that. Doing the yoga and all of that has been important too. Yeah. Just staying active and breaking a sweat. I, I haven't had any anxiety since I've been doing yoga. On average, I've been doing it for like an hour a day, five or six days a week for the most part. Yeah, dude, that that's amazing. For me, it's like, you know, working out is a big thing that I like to do. And, you know, working on my truck, like that's my two two main things that I do outside of music. And like whenever I'm doing that, like it 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 takes a little bit of stress off my life, especially working out. Um, the truck I kind of have to yeah. work on. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing that's kind of zen though because you can't really be thinking about other things when you're doing that. Yeah, no, and it's cool because I'm, I'm learning about it and I'm learning about the vehicles out there and, and learning how all things work. So that's kind of cool, you know? Um, and like I always want to do it as a hobby. I'd never want to do it professionally. God, yeah. no. Um, but it, it, it's a cool thing and it helps you get your mind off of everything else that's going on. So like, I think that that's like extremely important too, as well as like practicing is just giving yourself a mental break. I would say one day a week, it's healthy to have like five days where you're working, trying to make money Mm -hmm. just to pay your bills. One day where you are, you have off, but you're able to work on the things you want to work. It can just be a full day of that. Yeah. And then another day where you're just like, you're going for a hike yeah. You're going to do things. Going fishing. Exactly. A self-care day. Yeah. One day a week. And it is so fucking hard to do. Yeah. That's the most difficult thing for me to do at this point in my life. It is for me too. I feel like I don't really get one of those days except like once every two weeks or once every, you know, three weeks. And you're just firing on all cylinders. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. It catches up with you, dude. Yeah, dude. Because it's caught up with me. It, it just, it constantly feels like, you know, like I'm running. And, and I'm sure it does for like everybody else that's working and trying. It constantly, constantly feels like you're running, you know, and, and sometimes you're going to like trip and fall. Like, you know, that's what it is. Oh, yeah. And you start to piss off the people around you, too, because yeah. it's not only you're frustrated. It starts seeping out into all of the things that you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Because you feel like you can't nail anything down. Yeah. Yeah. I've, 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 I'm trying to make changes in that department, uh, especially. You know, just allowing myself more time to do accomplish. Well, really what your twenties are is a process of figuring out what you like and what you don't like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and learning to say no to like, don't do things that you don't want to do, you know, Mm -hmm. learning to say no to the things that you don't want to do is an extremely difficult task. Yeah. I, I feel that way too. I mean, especially with music stuff. I can think back on a bunch of musical projects I was involved in right in the beginning of Nashville where it's like you get together with someone once and you're not really into it. But now I know the signs up front of like, this is a red flag for me. I'm not going to fuck with this. Mm -hmm. Even if the person's good where it's like they said something weird. They're trying to be famous, whatever. Because that ain't my fucking motivation anymore. I don't give a fuck. Even when I first moved to, to Nashville, by the by the time I was at the end of the period of living in Maine, I I had always envisioned myself like being an arena rock band mm-hmm. with my buddy Kurt and doing that kind of shit. But by the time I was getting ready to move here, I knew I was coming to the big leagues. I didn't give a fuck about that anymore. Yeah. Well, for me, it's always like... <clears throat> I'd rather like do it purely for the art of doing it. Well, there's a balance to that too. It's like, I mean, of course I'd, I'd love to make a living at it. Don't yeah, get me wrong. No, if I get offered, you I know, know exactly what you mean. You'd love to make a living at doing what you love. Yeah. But sometimes you're just grinding it out and there's producers out there. There's musicians, whatever, who are taking a gig just to take the, a gig to pay the bills, which is a good position to be in. Yeah, And I can't hate that. But a lot of people, they get stuck in that middle class of showbiz in Nashville where you're making money, but there's really no way out of it. Yeah, You're just taking checks from either A, Belmont kids, you get stuck down on Broadway, or the alternative is like the East Nashville scene, you keep working at the coffee shop and playing gigs at the East Room 
all while being miserable. Yeah. And not changing anything in your life. Yeah. And, and there's a whole lot of like circles that just go round and round and round as far as like what, what, what goes on here, you know? Well, and, and some, sometimes like you don't really make it out. Like you see a lot of it that just doesn't make it out of the circuit and that's cool, but you got to keep, you just got to make sure you're doing what you want, you know? For sure. Yeah. It's, it's all about practice and it's not even about practice musically. So much of the, uh, the music game is just mental, dude. Yeah. It's mental. It's dealing with people. And I don't even mean that in a negative way. It's like learning how to work well with people, learning how to cooperate, learning how to negotiate. Yeah. Learning how to say no to something you don't want to do. Understanding that when you get rejected from something, most of the time it's not personal. Yeah. You know, one of the things I didn't like about Nashville when I first moved here and I don't know if anybody else will fucking agree with this, but Nashville's a very clicky place. Yeah. It's it very is. fucking clicky. Mm-hmm. And that when you first get here, it's not very welcoming to outsiders. But a place like Karis Jam was a doorway to being let in because at least people can hear you, they can see you, and they can talk to you. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that 100%. And, you know, like, I don't, I don't like the clicky thing. I always want to be on the outside of that. And just kind of observe. I'm the same way. I don't, I don't enjoy that. Like, cause like in high school, I was a part of a friend group that, you know, like they were all athletes. Yeah. You know, and I was, you were the fat kid. I was the fat kid that played music, (laughs) the fat kid that played piano. But like, I always watched that and like, I never understood why I was friends with them or anything, but I was always like with them or whatever. And like, looking back, like I wish I hadn't, hadn't been like that. Well, it's okay to look back and see things that you would change now, but it's not worth in life having regrets. It's like, I, there's, I don't know if there's anything that I necessarily would say I regret. There's stuff I've done wrong or stuff I've done, I've fucked up pretty bad. Yeah. But nothing really that I can even say, I wish I hadn't have done that. I know there's things I could have done better. Yeah. But that's just the nature of life. Well, I mean, it, it, it'll teach you something when you do something that you don't like, you know, it'll oh, teach yeah. it'll teach you something or someone does something that you don't like. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's just the way that they do things. It's like, whether it's a band leader or a girl you're dating, whatever it is. Yeah. You start to figure it out. And sometimes you don't necessarily know right away. Yeah. Well, a lot of, a lot of it has to do with like different personality types too. And what you're able to work with and what you're able to not work with, mm-hmm. you know, like there's some people I know that I just couldn't work with and become like be in a comfortable setting where, you know, like artistic ideas could come out. Well, take you and me, for instance, we've had to learn how to work together well, and it's always something that's going to grow and change, but we've learned for the most part how to do it now and how to maintain the machine. Yeah. And still be friends and still be <laughs> friends and still like hanging out. Yeah. And dude, it's, it's very rare. It's very rare that something like that happens too. Especially when you live together, dude. Yeah. Cause we live together. Yeah. And I've had a lot of roommates and you are by far out of all the people that I lived with prior, you know, when we lived yeah. on Stratford, all the other roommates throughout my 20s, you're the only one that I've liked and wanted to hang out with and vibed with. Yeah. Um, it's it's definitely interesting because I don't feel like if I had different roommates, I could do that. You know, and I've always told that I've always been told that like you'll grow to hate your roommates or whatever. But it's like I don't really hate anything about, you know, living with you. So it's like, I don't know. But it's a rare situation, and I feel very fortunate for it. You got lucky up front. Yeah. Well, I experienced. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I mean, we had some shit we had to deal with. But you see what I'm saying, though? Like, yeah. <laughs> that was the worst living situation I was in when we were on Stratford, by far. <laughs> by fucking far. We talked about that in a previous that says, episode. That says a lot about one of your pa- past roommates. Yeah. You know what I'm talking? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, to go uh, down that, the when we were talking about. Stratford, not only did fuckface, I overdosed on laced weed with cocaine, but he also had a crackhead meth head brother. Yeah. 
and it was not a good situation. It was not. Dude, thinking back to that, <clears throat> do you consider that worse than that one roommate that used to go through your stuff and all that? Yes, by dude, far. Dude, that's I'm... the funniest story. But, like, um, yeah, dude, that was a rough situation. That dude came screaming at me up at that. Uh, I was just trying to wash well, my truck. Well, he would show up at her house at, like, <laughs> 5 a.m. on a Sunday and be like, hey, is fuckface home? And he would be knocking on the door. Yeah. And it's just like, dude, fuck off. It is Sunday morning, and you could tell he was up all night. I feel bad for him. Yeah. Dude, don't get me wrong. Yeah. He, he he has a sweet soul. Yeah. But nobody wants a fucking crackhead They at their house. And they would fight, and they would argue out on the front lawn and day all drink. this weird shit. He would, there was a period of time where he didn't have a job, where he was day drinking on our couch. Like a homeless man. Like, well, he was straight up. He was well, yeah. homeless. Yeah, dude. It was, it was rough. I did feel bad for him. I did. But it was like, that was just not okay. None no. of it was. That's just like another thing. Like, like I, I imagine that situation. I think about this sometimes. What if I had went through that and I hadn't had a roommate I liked? You would have been in the situation I was in throughout my entire 20s. Where So after that roommate that I had, so basically when I first moved to town, I'll go into this. I had a, uh, a gay roommate, which I didn't think was any big deal. It, it wasn't, you know, I'm an, I'm an open-minded person. But the thing was, he was crazy. Mm. He was a crazy person. And sometimes, you know, I would bring girls over to the house or whatever, and he would get kind of weird and jealous about it yeah that's odd like you would make little comments and you would say things about it and you would always just make weird sexual comments to me you tried touching me a few times and this is not something in our society in our culture that we want to talk about men get sexually harassed too yeah and if it's from a gay man which again i have nothing against gay people at all but if it's from a gay man like it's still a man you know what I mean? Like all the beefs that women have with men, if they are gay and like that, then they're, they're crazy like that, then they are, their targets are other men. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is like the dude that used to search through your stuff, right? Well, he searched through <clears throat> all my stuff. This was after I had a friend stay over for the weekend that was from Maine. She was just passing through. Nothing had gone on. We were just friends. But he had gone through my room. She had written me like this nice note and left it on the table. And I put it, um, I left it out in my room, like on my desk. And I had a bunch of dirty clothes everywhere. My room was a mess. This is when I was working at a freight brokerage company. So I had like a nine to five. Um, I came home one day and he had gone through my entire room and cleaned it as well as washed my clothes. That's weird, dude. That's weird. So which... Prior to this, uh, like his kind of behavior, I it just makes me assume that he jerked off into my underwear nine yeah. times. And the note that she left me, it was in, I put it in my desk or something like that, and it, I found it up in my closet, or it was in my closet and it was on my desk. It was it was a weird spot where it wasn't before. So he like gone through and read it and all this shit. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but he was a psycho. That's super odd. That's that's insane. There was another random thing that happened where he was starting to rent the house out for Airbnb and he had left for the weekend and there was two British guys and an Irish guy that came through Airbnb because they were working at Eventbrite because Eventbrite was just opening in Nashville and they came here to get training. Yeah. So they came to hang out. It was a party. I got along great with them. These guys like me. I like them. They did not like my fucking roommate. They had interacted him with a, a little bit and they asked me questions like, what's his deal? So I was telling them all this shit and they're like, you need to fucking move out of here. And I was like, I know I'm trying to. Um, yeah, it was a fucking bizarro situation. Yeah, that, that's wild. I was there for maybe six months and that's when I got my own apartment on Lebanon Pike, which was the apartment fucking job. Yeah. In that whole yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it... My fucking 20s was just chaotic situation after chaotic situation. And then after the apartments was the Stratford situation. Yeah, which went on for a while for you. Went on for a while. There was times it was manageable. There was times it wasn't. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was a pretty big lesson for me. Yeah, I, my very first roommate situation like ended poorly. 
consider well that Stratford House situation ended poorly for the most part. We made it out, but like we made it out and we broke even from that situation. Yeah. Which is a victory in itself, dude. That was a very valuable lesson I learned in life is that you can walk away with everything that you had going into a situation. That's a victory sometimes. You don't always need to have a victory where you have this big, glorious win and you're able to tell the person off and all this shit. Yeah. I learned that from the apartment jobs of when I got fired from there and I was going to potentially be homeless because I was living at this place, but the Stratford situation opened up because of my friend Ryan was moving away. Yeah. All this shit. Yeah. So I, I did the Stratford house on a whim. Like that was just on a, like a straight up on a whim. I did it on a whim too. It was like a two week thing for me. Yeah. Like I, I didn't, I didn't need to at the time, I guess, cause I was living with Vic and I could have lived there longer, but because I was at Sam Ash, I was just like, you needed to leave the nest. Yeah. I was like, sure. I want, I, you know, it was, I felt like it was time for my, for me to actually live in a house with adults. Not like I have a roommate situation, not live, you know, cause Vic and them, they're like my parents, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was cool. It was cool to actually be be on my own in a way. Have you listened to the new Black Keys album yet? I listened to it a little bit. I like it. I'll yeah, Delta Cream. It came out a couple weeks ago. It's a entirely a covers album. Mm. It was recorded here in Nashville at Easy Eye Sound over on 8th Avenue. Yeah. Um, which is Dan Auerbach's studio. Uh, I really like it a lot because they sound inspired. Yeah. They're like they're just do, playing the music that they like, which is Northern Mississippi Hill Country Blues. They're covering like R.L. Burnside, Junior Kimbrough. Mm. So uh, I was very excited by it because it's really a back to the basics approach for them, and it makes me excited for whatever they do next. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there's people that they have a they have pretty there's pretty different opinions on the Black Keys. There's some people who really fucking hate them. There's a lot of people that really fucking hate them. I'm not a Black Keys hater. I've never been. Yeah. Uh, I Like, when I worked at Sam Ash, like, um, we would listen to Black Keys because uh, the manager there enjoyed the Black Keys, or one of them did. And uh, people would walk in and, and hate it sometimes. Like, or You know, there's, like, very mixed opinions on the Black Keys. Uh, why, why is that? I don't know. I don't entirely know why. I think a big part of it is they got successful. Yeah. Because for a long time, they didn't hit until, like, hit it big until Brothers, which was their sixth fucking album or something crazy like that. Yeah. So, I think a lot of people, they, they were like the cool underground indie band that Pitchfork would review. Yeah. So, they had a lot of street cred, and then all of a sudden, they have a hit on the radio, which they never really been played on the radio before, on modern rock stations. Mm-hmm. Started working with Danger Mouse, did El Camino, got featured in a bunch of car yeah. commercials. So people say they sold out, but I'm not a hater when it comes to that. I get it. It yeah. is so fucking hard to do this. Yeah, it kind of sucks, dude. Like, you know, if you stay like an underground band and, and you're making stuff and a lot of people dig you and you have like a lot of supporters and then you blow up and everybody automatically thinks that you sold out, you know? Yeah, but you have all these new fans who are just discovering you for the first time. Yeah, I don't necessarily think it's selling out. I'm going to make a I'm going to make a bold statement. Dude, I like Weezer, and and a lot of people like feel the same way. They feel like they sold out, too. Yeah, I like Weezer, too, definitely. Um, they were one of my favorite fucking bands growing up. Yeah. It's the reason that I have that lightning bolt strap yeah, on yeah, my it's base. It's like Rivers Kiyomas. Yeah, yeah, that was the reason why. Um, but, yeah, Weezer was, was a huge influence on me. There was some of their stuff where you could tell that they were listening to their label a little bit too much on who to like do songs with and shit like that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I can't be a hater on them because they're consistently, they have a, uh, a good greatest hits collection. Yeah. Like you look through it from their first album all the way up to their most recent stuff. Yeah. Now it really seems like they're doing what they want because they released that orchestral album. Yeah. That was really fucking cool. Yeah, it was, it was produced by AJR. Did you know, you do you know them? Yeah. Um, and um and stuff like that like they've been working with them a lot it was was pretty cool to see because it seems like now they're just working with whoever they want and kind of doing their own thing they released Uh, that halen uh the 
What was it? It was like a Van Halen. Yeah, it was. It's cover. Van Weezer. Van Weezer. Yeah, that's yeah. What it was. So it's it's like Weezer songs, but they have that Van Halen style to them. Of because Rivers Cuomo is a great guitar player. Yeah, he can fucking shred. Yeah. Originally, Weezer was supposed to be a metal band. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, I I really love their their early shit a lot. They worked with Rick Ocasek from the the Cars. Yeah. He, oh really? He produced their their first album. And their third album and a couple albums after that. I feel like I feel like a lot of people shit on them for no reason, the same as a lot of people shit on the Black Keys for no reason. Yeah. Well, if anytime that's why you're similar. successful, though, there's going to be jealous musicians. Like, mm-hmm. th- those are the people that shit on them. Yeah. Is other people who are trying to make it, and they're just like, why did they make it? You know what I mean? Yeah. They're yeah. not any good. Yeah. And I don't like that. I never want to be a bitter resentful artist of someone else's success i love it when someone becomes successful yeah i I really do honestly want to see all the all the projects or all the people that i know like succeed you know i do i want to see them all make it yeah um and um yeah that's that's difficult i i wish people just stop hating on like you know because everybody's out there just trying their best for the most part i feel like a lot of a lot of the bigger artists don't even really have bad intentions i feel like a lot of them listen to their label too much or you know, or controlled by their label, and that's no good. Like I don't like that at all. But like I feel like everybody's trying to do their best for the most part. And then there's Sturgill Simpson. Yeah, <laughs> just who like, says "fuck you." Yeah, I'm doing whatever I want, and you're not going to stop me. Yeah, I'm going to purposely tank your label by spending a million dollars on an anime film to accompany my album. <laughs> yeah, if everybody could just do that, do their own thing, you know. <laughs> but you know why that is? Why? Because Sturgill was a latent life success. Mm-hmm. He was 30, I think, at the time he recorded his first album. So he knows what it's like to work. I mean, he was in the fucking Navy. He was addicted to drugs. He had lived 10 lives by the time he got a shot. Yeah. And things started working out for him. Yeah. So he already knew just from like working bullshit, all the stuff he was. I'm just speculating, of course. Yeah. But just understanding the kind of music he plays and how real it is and the connection that I feel to it, I know, I can just tell. He doesn't put up with bullshit. Yeah. Dude, I, I, I like him for that. Like, like it, it feels like, um, you know, because there's a lot of, like, bullshit with, like, artists nowadays. Like, you can't really tell who they really are. You don't see them for their actual personality well they're putting on a mask that they think people like yeah and and that's that to me that's the most not okay thing like i don't i don't respect that neither do i man i don't respect that i I respect people that are up front with like who they are like sturgill and tyler and and all them Mm -hmm. you know that that are pretty real with like their thoughts about things and and who they actually are versus like you know Everybody that's so big that they just have a mask of like who you know you never actually see who they really are. There's to no me, connection that's there. The the true Nashville and Tennessee tradition though. Mm-hmm. You think about Waylon Jennings, Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard, Willie Nelson. Yeah, they were hated by Music Row. Yeah, they were not. They were not fans of them, and all of those artists hated the labels. Yeah, they did not like the industry. I mean, Waylon and Willie, they moved to Austin to get away from it. And yeah. That's when they grew out their hair and had beards and became the outlaws of countries when they did that. The highwaymen. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, Willie openly talks about, you know, his, him him not liking Nashville at all. Um, Lucas Nelson comes here pretty often and does stuff, but like Willie does not. He does not fuck with this place. And well, he doesn't fuck with the Opry. You see, did you, have you ever seen an early video of Willie Nelson playing at the Opry yeah. where his hair is cut like mine and he's completely clean shaven? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. It's bizarre to see. It is, dude. It's, it's weird to not not see him, you know, with the long hair and the beard and the bandana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seeing him in concert was surreal, dude. It was so cool. Was he good? Oh yeah, he was great. It, it was like a, it was like a going to like Disney World and seeing like, you know, like Mickey Mouse standing in front of you. It's like Willie Nelson's like right there. It was super cool. Um, but yeah, dude, and and like you you like before I I got to Nashville and stuff, I always wondered like why do people hate labels? I didn't understand it, and then I moved here, and then you understand, and now I understand because they don't give a fuck, dude. They <laughs> yeah. are corporations at the end of the day, 
and they are going to bankrupt an artist and fuck them over and keep them indebted and keep them on the road, keep them working until the day that they die. Yeah. And they're and after they die, they're going to grind out every fucking penny that they can out of them. Like look at uh anybody. Look Michael Jackson's a great example of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a pedophile, but he's still a good example. But arguably you could say what killed him was the lifestyle that he lived that I mean he is a once in every like five generation kind of a talent the world never experienced a Michael Jackson before he came yeah but this guy was so tortured that he was having to go under anesthesia every night just to go to sleep and that's what killed him yeah that's dark dude that is dark that's a lot of demons yeah. I don't wish that on anyone. No. And and that whole thing, like, I, I don't ever want to be, be on any sort of that level or even close to You don't want to be a pedophile? No, I'm talking about fame. Oh. <laughs> talking about fame. I'm talking about being that, like, like that kind of life. Like, I don't ever want that. We're at a, an amazing benefit for the first time in history where we are in control of our destinies as artists. Yeah. We don't have to rely on anyone else. Yeah. There are moving parts and pieces, of course, when you think about the music thing, Spotify, YouTube, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you just have to be street smart and understand what it is you want to do. For me, it's way more important to stay independent and run my own shit. Yeah. That's all I want to do is be the pilot of my own ship. I don't want to fuck with anyone else. I don't want to join someone else's ship. Mm-hmm. because I understand what the implications of it are. Yeah. I've seen it happen to people, either friends or any of that, where it's like they feel like they can't say a certain thing or voice their opinions on something. And that ain't for fucking me, dude. I just got to be real. And I got to say what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. That's the most important thing. For is, sure. Is being able to voice your own opinion, actually be in an artistic environment where you can let ideas happen. If you're around somebody constantly that you can't do that with, then you shouldn't be around them. Yeah. Like, that's just the way it is. Yeah. You know? Fuck that. Life's too short. Like, this, you know, same goes with girls. If you're in a relationship where you can't say shit because she's going to get offended, fucking leave her, dude. You yeah. Know? Well, <laughs> yeah, th- there's there's a certain element of, of that, too. You know, I think when it comes to dating, you have to, again, it's, you just have to decide what you want and what you don't want. I put up with too much bullshit in dating terms of... Women who just wanted to try and change me. Yeah. And a shit leopard doesn't change its shit spots. (laughs) That's true. And we'll leave it at that. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. This podcast is produced to you by Taylor Miller.